Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast. No, it's been a tough year for many. Tough times, particularly for those badly affected by the pandemic, either through bereavement or major upheavals in circumstance. Today, though, at the end of the year, we'd like to tell a story that may provide a little hope, a good news story about what can happen when people put their heads together to assist another human being in bad need of a little assistance. Rami Ramthul was a man stuck in this country. He immigrated here in 2006 and after some years in which he worked hard and tried to make a life for himself, things were not working out for him. He had an injury, he was not in good health and he was living on the streets. He wanted to go home to his native Mauritius and try to start again. But how exactly was he going to manage to do that? That's exactly where my guests today came in. Alice Leahy from the Alice Leahy Trust, which, as many of you I'm sure know, is an agency that's a drop-in centre for homeless people in Dublin. And we have Damien McCarthy. Damien is a member of Ungardi Shikana based in Pier Street, also in Dublin. You're both very welcome. If I could start with you, Alice, tell me about Rami. You had known him for a few years by 2019 when he decided he wanted to go home. We did indeed, uh, Mick, and I suppose maybe I should just mention that we're a tiny centre in the heart of the Liberties. And very often we meet people who are like our own relations a generation ago who went to places like London and New York and other cities to make a living with the dream of a better future. And often thinking maybe that the streets were paved with gold and they could send some money back to their families. So before the pandemic, we would have people dropping into us from maybe 26 different countries. And in the size of our premises, that is a huge number of nationalities. Well, anyway, Romney arrived in one day. And as you said, he came to Ireland in 2006 and he was 32 years of age. And he didn't arrive in our place until 2014. And at that time, he was still working, but he couldn't afford accommodation because accommodation was so expensive or even to get accommodation. And he was sleeping out a lot of the time. So uh, he was seven years coming to us in the Alice Leahy Trust. And for most of 2018 and 2019, he would have been in with us almost daily. And his behaviour was a bit eccentric at times. He was never violent. He never disturbed people. But some of the people who used our services, they were all very kind to him. And they noticed that he was a very vulnerable human being. And then one day he expressed a wish to go home. And I think when somebody said they want to go home, it kind of tugs at your heartstrings. And also in that time and over the years, we've met families of people who were homeless on the streets of Dublin. Many of them died on the streets of Dublin. Their families didn't know how they lived. And many of them went back to their relations in coffins or in urns. So when when Rami said that to us with tears in his eyes, we said we had to do something. We, we could not ignore it. 
So we, first of all, there was a question of getting a passport. There was a question of going home. He had been to the agency that's charged with the responsibility of helping people to get back home to their country and nothing was happening. Now, we knew we couldn't do this on our own. And we are sandwiched between Christchurch and St. Patrick's, but we're also between two of the busiest Garda stations in the country, Pierce Street and Kevin Street. And we would have a very respectful, cooperative uh, relationship with the guards. If we need their help, they come to us. And if they can help us in any way, they do. So we scratched our heads and we decided this has to be a good news story. We have to help Romy. And of course, we got on to Damien McCarthy. And we knew Damien for years as somebody, if we were stuck, if we had a problem, if somebody had a problem and they needed help. Damien, a good corp man, was someone to go to uh, to help us. And that's what happened. Very good, Alice. And that's exactly where Damien and, and your colleague Damien, I believe, Alan O'Dowd, both of you agreed that you do what you could in your spare time and you were introduced to Romy. How did that go, Damien? That's right, Mick. Myself and, and Alan O'Dowd, whom I work with in Pierce Street, we were first introduced to Romy. Alice uh, gave the introductions. And first of all, he came across as a man, um, I suppose, long story short, that really needed help. Um, when we heard uh, and were told that he needs to go home, it sounds like a simple task, but it's, uh, I suppose, uh, the obstacles that are in your way to get home when you've no home, no address, no phone, no money. It's uh, very difficult. And on our very first experience with Rami was that he was a very pleasant individual. And it was apparent from the outset, both myself and Alan concluded very quickly, I suppose, um, that he, you know, he had his difficulties in terms of a head injury you know, um, and his, what could you say, his demeanour and manner, even though he was always respectful and all that, you could tell that, um, as Alice described there in the intro, he was very vulnerable, um, particularly probably maybe naive and and very kind of immature for the streets. The first thing that, that took us aback was that how he survived, uh, having been briefed by Alice, how he survived for so long. Um, but our first impression was one of a nice man who fell on hard times and badly needed help. That's putting it mildly and, and 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 briefly. And I think it's also fair to say, Damien, that um, Rami, another issue that arose was whether or not, even, for example, if he had all the papers, if he was able to get home, all of that, there still was an issue as to whether or not in his condition he would be allowed on a plane because, as you say, he, he had some eccentricities and he had this brain injury for a while. So that was another issue that was there. Now, as I understand, initially you accompanied him to the Office of the International Organisation for Migration, which has an office in Dublin and has offices all over the world and, well, supposedly designed to help people who want to be repatriated. I don't think things went too well there for yourselves and Rami. No, um, unfortunately, you know, like anybody, you know the hassle you'll have yourself to get a passport, do you know what I mean? By the time you've all the documents right and signed in the correct places and even the passport photographs, it appeared to be um, very difficult to make progress um, with that organisation you mentioned. Um, we did explain that we were two guards in the city that, that uh, could, what could you say, you know, uh, assist in any way we could, given Rami's unique set of circumstances, and that included getting the passport photographs. 
um, and following up after that. And unfortunately, um, we didn't seem to be making um, any progress at all on that front. Yes, and as you say, you got the passport photographs and as I understand it, you also managed to organise with Alice, who had some great contacts obviously in this area from long experience, for appointments to see a doctor, Austin O'Carroll, and subsequently also to see a psychiatrist, Kevin Kilbride, both of whom, it has to be said, were really helpful as well to Rami's case. I should also point out here that I was in touch with the organisation, the International Organisation for Migration, and asked them about Rami's case and, and their response. And this is as, as far as they saw it, presumably from their records, because this was dating back to 2019-2020. IOM strove to apply duty of care with Mr. Ramtool. Unfortunately, we were not able to fully assist Mr. Ramtool as not all applicable procedural requirements necessary to ensure a safe and dignified return were possible, particularly with regard to health and psychosocial assessments and ensuring a tailored needs-based approach. Well, that's a, a very nice way of putting it, I suppose, but one has to wonder then how two fellas, two guards from um, Counties Cork and Limerick, as I understand it, managed to go where such an august organisation didn't. Anyway, uh, that was the story as things stood. Um, Alice, obviously, they were running into trouble in terms of getting the assistance from the office that was supposed to help people like Rami. So the ball was back in your court to some extent. It was, but I think it was very clear that the two lads and ourselves, Jeanette and my colleague and, my, and myself, that we were all determined that we would do everything we could to get Rami back home to his family at the other end of the world. So I brought it to our board of directors. We have a very good board of directors. We meet every month. They're very aware of what goes, goes on. And they were all too happy that we would fund Rami's uh, travel back to his home country and also uh, the two guards that they were going in their free time and they they had to be supported and going there and I think we were delighted that we made that decision because it has meant that uh, and maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit but there has been an enormous response to what happened in getting Rami back and I know Damien will fill you in again but I, I should also say that when Damien and Alan and Romy were travelling back home. We were very concerned for them because there were so many obstacles in the way. We wouldn't be happy until we saw the two lads back with their feet on Irish soil. So anyway, um, Damien Allen, Damien, so you then were left with the scenario whereby you were trying to organise this for Romy. And as I understand it, Mauritius doesn't have any um, consulate in this country and you were in touch with London. That's correct. Myself and Alan just did our own bit of research. And uh, once we established the, the consulate, not having the benefit of that in Dublin, but London was the, the closest and with responsibility uh, for Ireland. So we immediately set out making contact with the Mauritian authorities in London and explained um, that we were two guards with, um, thankfully, this, the Alice Leahy Trust had came on board. And the objective was to be repatriate one of their own citizens voluntarily um, back to Mauritius, uh, what was required, uh, starting from, you know, ground zero. So uh, the relevant uh, application was was forwarded to ourselves and Alan for Rami, and we obviously needed our passport photographs again. Um, and that was the next hurdle, because I suppose these might all seem like menial tasks and very simple, but again, 
you know, when somebody's homeless and not in the one spot for a long period of time, it's hard to get these things done. But obviously with the help of Jeanette in the trust and Matt and Alice, you know, there was a lot of organizing. Um, we got our photographs, we got our documentation, um, which Rami completed with the assistance of myself and Alan. Uh, and that was back and forth to the, the Mauritian authorities in London. And we're talking late 19 and early 2020 at this point. Um, and unfortunately, um, uh, we had the, the, the well-known global pandemic hitting the country here, Ireland. And uh, COVID uh, had put an abrupt, what could you say, stop to, to getting Rami home. Spanner in the works. Yeah, exactly. You know. So unfortunately, you know, that had its own challenges for us all. There was nobody vaccinated, you know, traveling wasn't, you know, not recommended even by our own government. And, you know, there was all those things to, to consider. And in, in the interim period, unfortunately, Rami got ill with tuberculosis as well. So it was a matter of, of just keeping in touch and maintaining contact as best we could and reassuring him that we would get him home. And one element to that, Damien, as I understand, was that uh, I think you, you you related to me earlier, you said something to the effect that this wasn't a situation of making an appointment. For example, you and me make an appointment, we'll meet in the office at three o'clock. The nature of Rami's uh, lifestyle was such that you didn't have that luxury. Appointments were difficult to make because he was leading that kind of itinerant lifestyle. It was, it was extremely difficult because, you know, um, without an address, without even a mobile phone, it was, it was extremely difficult. But in fairness, you know, I recall one morning we were to meet at the Trust and Alan was coming in a separate direction to myself. And I was on the phone to Alan and he actually spotted him out of the corner. He's up around somewhere in Thomas Street in Dublin 8, you know, uh, and doubled back uh, and got him that morning. I think we had an appointment with the doctor. But for the doctor's appointments, the consultant's appointments to get the photographs, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it was extremely difficult. I suppose there was more obstacles put in our way which we didn't envisage at the outset, but, you know, we eventually got there and, 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 and piece by piece, um, we seemed to be making progress, but unfortunately for Rami, anytime Rami asked, uh, we didn't appear to be making much progress in the form of getting an exact date for boarding a flight. Um, and that was frustrating, you know, for Alice and all her team and myself and Alan, and obviously Rami, because he was continuously told um, he was going home, but yet we'd no date. Just, Damien, to another obstacle that you would have had was he would get accommodation on a given night, maybe in a hostel, and then his behaviour actually very often led to him leaving the hostel. So then he'd maybe move on to another hostel, maybe he'd be out. So all of that was happening as well to add to the mix. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. And I think also you you mentioned Romney having contracted TB and I'm going to come to you about that in a minute, Alice. But Damien, from your point of view, he, he contracted TB. Uh, he was in hospital for a few weeks and then it's standard, as I understand, particularly people in social welfare in that instance, he got a one-off social welfare payment once he recovered and he had a cheque and he went to cash that quite obviously anyone can imagine this put in the circumstances or I think it was around 200 euro somebody not used to having any money whatsoever and effectively being thrust onto the margins gets this check from the state and he went to the GPO on O'Connell Street would you take it up from there Damien what exactly happened yeah myself and Alan were in the station one day and, and Rami called he regularly called to us uh, and this day he called he was distraught um, he had a, a receipt with a barcode on it, basically. 
and he had said uh, he had got a payment, but um, he couldn't cash it in the GPO and he was being refused his money. So obviously, uh, with no documentation, no passport, no driving license, no nothing, um, nobody knew Rami and Rami had no proof of identity. And Tom, uh, Rami was, 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 you know, spoken to, you know, he calmed down, obviously very frustrated and very kind of, you know, upset. Um, it was easy enough, upset Rami, you know, the simplest things might get him going. So uh, I think it was the following day then, uh, we went over with Rami to the GPO and the security man we met first, obviously recalled Rami's first visit. And I explained the situation that we know Rami and know him well and he wanted to get home and that we could vouch for him. He was who he said he was, and we had one or two temporary um, hostels where he stayed in, and we were guided up to the counter, and a very nice gentleman behind the counter explained the story briefly, and out counted the, the it was 208 euros, I think, uh, but it was counted out, put into his hand, and the man grew six feet when he had cash in his hand, and we got outside, and, and he started off, as I say, the odd time Rami called to us, um, the odd day we'd go for a cup of tea or whatever, but, you know, as Alan said, he'd have a breakfast roll or a kebab or something, and he might get the odd fiver from myself and Alan, and his first uh, task with his money that morning was to, to pay back us the money, as he said, he owed us, and obviously that wasn't necessary, and and I'd say in the space of five, ten minutes, um, he, was, he was listing out what he was going to get with his uh, what could you say? Newfound fortune. He was going getting clothes and food and radios and phones and you know he, he was just. I'd say he didn't realize that 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 the sum of money he got wasn't going to purchase all he wanted. But he he you know he was just on cloud nine with his 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 few bob he had you know. And I think you're related. To, uh, a, a, a man came along whom he knew from being on the streets, and he asked him, "Would he have the price of a newspaper?" Yeah. And you know what? That kind of summed up Rami. Rami was very gullible, very naive. You know, I know I'm not saying it, in a, you know, in a bad sort of way, but um, he wasn't that streetwise, you know. Um, he could be seen as an easy target, you know, especially in that kind of circumstance. But, you know, needless to say, Rami's few bob was gone within 24, 48 hours, you know. Yeah, yeah, as would be understand. Alice, just on that, I mean, I think it's something that perhaps a lot of us we're fortunate enough not to know the streets, uh, f- forget, but uh, conditions like TB, which perhaps in the general population have been eradicated, people who are living homeless, they're still very susceptible to that kind of uh, disease, aren't they? Oh, they are. And, and an awful lot of them are malnourished. Uh, they have skin conditions. They have trench foot. Uh, TB, I mean, it was Damien told us uh, that Rummy had TB. And of course, years ago, we remembered the stigma attached to TB, but we did have a TB. We had sanatoria in different parts of Ireland and we had Piemont. So people are inclined to think that there is no longer TB, but there is TB out there. And um, chest conditions, skin conditions. If you really, if people would just imagine what it must be like to be living like Romy, you're open to every skin condition and everything that is likely to follow on from being malnourished. And that's what homeless people are up against. And this isn't always solved by medication. You need proper accommodation. You need access to washing facilities. But most of all, you need people who will say to you, come on, let's let us help you. 
and you are capable of doing of improving your condition but all of those conditions are still out there Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you and with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Very much so. And of course, the Elsley Trust is one place where, and I've seen you in action there, it's some place where people are very welcome. There's no judgments. There's no nothing except a warm uh, atmosphere where people can come and they have that kind of help that you're talking about. Anyway, back to Rami and uh, then we're in a scenario, Damien, as I understand it, that uh, you managed to get the travel documents, you got a date for the flight and then there was an issue of Rami getting ready. You brought you brought him to, to, to get kitted out. We did. Things moved, I suppose, fairly lively towards the end in that uh, fast forward, Rami had got his vaccination for starters. And myself and Alan had got vaccinated. We had our travel documentation um, in the pipeline and things were moving closer. We were keeping an eye on the, you know, the Irish regs in terms of quarantine and those leaving the country and entering. And obviously, uh, the Mauritian government had closed down the island for a considerable period of time. And a window of, opp- window of opportunity had arisen in that the Mauritians were um, opening their borders on very limited circumstances to allow us gain access to the country. Um, and I suppose things move rapidly in that we took advantage of that situation because we did not want to see it go on for too long more. At this stage, Rami had lost a lot of weight even though he was recovering from TB, he had lost uh, a substantial amount of weight, really. And he wasn't in the best of form. You know, he was normally high-spirited, jovial, and it seemed the longer this went on, the more, you know, uh, down he felt, we thought. And um, we had been to Austin or Carl, the GP at this stage, um, had been to, to Dr. Kilbride, who was outstanding. Um, knew what the objective was, um, had assessed Rami, and obviously there was no element of doubt in anyone's mind, whether it be Alice in the trust or Jeanette or Alan or myself. Um, everybody was was just 100% certain that this man needed to get home. So we had liaised with the Mauritian authorities. We were ready for departure. Um, the documents had been sent on to myself, his travel document, what wasn't actually a passport. And we had our flight booked and Rami, for the first time, um, um, could see this as actually, you know, a realistic uh, uh, a possibility that was imminent. Do you know what I mean? For the first time in, in, in years and, and things really got moving then. And, you know, there was, a, I'd say, excitement building in with Rami. He was just a different man uh, overnight when, when things moved rapidly in the end. And then you got word that you wouldn't be allowed to travel. Unfortunately, um, uh, I received a call late on the uh, one Friday evening. We were due to depart within uh, 48 hours. And there was a major upset in that the hotel had um, received word that two police officers were were going to be staying in the hotel with a criminal. Um, 
this floored us, to be quite honest with you. Um, to build up that week, as I say, Rami, you know, he had his hair cut. We had a bag packed. Um, uh, very kindly again with Alice and toiletries and you know what I mean. Um, uh, get him togged out for the for the journey home because um, it took us about maybe a day to get there. But we were absolutely floored when we heard um, that the hotel in Mauritius um, wouldn't accept us on arrival because of the COVID regulations. You needed all this clarified and confirmed prior departure, not just for Dublin but for Paris and a stopover. And on entry to Mauritius, you needed to be staying in a COVID-certified hotel. That was a specific piece of criteria that was no longer available. Um, and it just really, I suppose, it it just knocked us all, really. Um, I told Alice on that Friday evening and my then superintendent, Joe Gannon, that, that what seemed, you know, certain was the rug seemed to be pulled from under us and we were kind of deflated would be an understatement. But that was quite late on a Friday evening. And Alice, that scenario, some of it could be attributed to, uh, and we all know the way the internet works now, reports are, are on a newspaper. Romney had had a very minor incident uh, the previous year in which he had um, had a lot, a lot of drink taken and I think he was in Parnell Square and he was arrested for being a danger. Somebody, in one instance, somebody suggested he headbutted a car, but quite obviously he was somebody who was the worst for wear. He was up in a public order offence. He got a fine and that was the end of it. But as a result of that, there can be certain stigmatising of people, particularly those who don't have an address, and suggest that they are, as was to some extent suggested here, that they're criminals. Yes, and it is shocking. And and I think there is the stigma of homelessness and any one of us could become homeless. We're just lucky that we haven't and thank God we never will. But anyone can become homeless. But once you become homeless, you are very often seen as being a problem. Uh, you're no good to anyone. You're no good to society. Uh, you're a layabout. That isn't true. Uh, Romy came here to work. An awful lot of people we meet who are homeless today have worked and now have no jobs, have no accommodation. But then if you are in trouble with the law and if you have no fixed address, that is even a bigger problem. And it is automatically assumed that you are a criminal. And then, I mean, he was fined. He didn't have the money to pay a fine. Uh, he ended up in, in in prison for was it a week or so but maybe that week in, in a strange way we don't have convalescent homes anymore so maybe it was a little bit of comfort for him and I'm not in favour of locking everyone up but maybe it did help him but if you were homeless you have all the other labels attached to it and very often even if you are working with homeless people you can still be seen in the same light so we we have a lot of questioning I think as a society still as how we judge people and how we treat people because of their address or because of their circumstances. Yes, and exactly as you put it, Alice, and as we know, the nature of the system is such that when somebody like Rami, who, I mean, I think it's fair to perhaps describe him as somebody with a want in him, is before the court in an incident like that, he ends up being treated as perhaps I might be or you in an instance where, where, where someone had too much drink and things got a bit out of order and no allowance made for the fact that this is a man that perhaps requires something 
different and that's no reflection on, on the court in that instance but that is the system and we know for example on a basic level the very high proportion of people who are in prison most of them for uh, small offences who actually have mental health difficulties but that's just part of the system that people like Romy were up against anyway Damien so that gets postponed you managed to get things straightened out and organised for a flight for a week later you were back up at Dublin airport yeah and we were just keeping an eye on the requirements for the French and Mauritian authorities. Anyone entering Mauritius had to have a negative PCR test between days five and seven prior departure. So it was it was back to the clinic to get PCR tests with with certificates. Um, back to Rami, getting Rami in and out. Do you know what I mean? Um, and thankfully, uh, a week later. Uh, shall we say, we made alternative arrangements this time for the accommodation in Mauritius with a COVID-certified hotel uh, and kept those details to ourselves because it was nobody else's business given what happened the previous week. And um, uh, again, Rami was, I suppose, upset, depressed, you know, that, that something was so near yet so far the previous week. We were good to go the following weekend. And Rami was all excitement. Uh, um, we met up in the Garda station force, myself and Alan, and we went off to collect him. And uh, off we went to the airport uh, the following weekend with his bag and his few things. And I have to say he was um, excited uh, and probably like myself and Alan, a bit nervous, if that makes sense. And you're up there in Alice. I've seen photographs till you were at the airport that day too and Rami was there in his Leinster jersey. Very disappointed, Alice, you didn't get him a Munster jersey, but with the Leinster one, it'll do. Well, it should have been a Munster. It should have been a Munster one. <laughs> but that's a, that's another day's work. But it was interesting because I went out to the airport and uh, Superintendent Joe Gannon went out as well. And I met Rami and he was a changed person. It was quite amazing, even the fact that he was there at the airport. And and Alan and Damien were probably more nervous than he was. But he was a changed man. He was holding himself up straight. He didn't look as miserable. He had his Leinster uh, rugby top on him that somebody had given us. But even though we were all excited about him going back, I must say, that we were slightly nervous. It was a long journey. There had been a lot of problems and we weren't, uh, we couldn't rest until we heard they had arrived and Damien and Alan kept in touch with us all the time, thanks to technology. And we knew they were getting there and to hear they had landed safely uh, was just wonderful. It was, but I, I must say we were nervous too, because here you had two young men uh, going in their free time and who had families here at home. And, you know, we had to think of all of that, but it was their their compassion and their generosity of spirit, uh, together with their own board of directors and all of that. It was all of us working together made it possible, but it was a difficult time. It was, and Damien, as you say, you mentioned French, because you, 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 you travelled via Paris and you got past there and you landed in Mauritius. And there was a particular welcoming committee, to put it that way, for you. It was. Uh, surprisingly enough, we, we departed Dublin and it took us a day and a bit to, to eventually arrive in, in Mauritius because we were five or six hours waiting for a connecting flight in Paris. 
So, um, yeah, a, a bit surprised, shall we say, that um, um, uh, in, in, in passport control, um, uh, some of the personnel we met were aware that we were police officers um, and was half expecting Rami to be with us. And, um, yeah, we had uh, a, a couple of questions being asked of, of us um, on entry to the state. And um, Rami was held back for a bit for questioning and we remained there with him. And um, yeah, that was a bit of a, 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 shall we say, a bit of a surprising development. And um, obviously, uh, with the COVID regs and all that, we had to be um, tested once we landed there and all that. And 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 then we were transferred uh, to a quarantine hotel, um, uh, more or less, uh, maybe after an hour or two once we had the relevant paperwork and testing done. But it was a bit of a, a bit of a uh, shall we say a bit of a surprise, all right, to be getting a bit of a welcoming party, all right, yeah. And you were quarantined in the hotel while there, Rami's family were able to visit, and I can imagine that was a highly emotional occasion. He was also uh, listening to his favourite musician a lot of the time on the headphones in the hotel. That's right. Obviously, with COVID, we couldn't budge from where we were until we got back on a flight home. And similar for Rami, until he had a 14-day period uh, uh, in quarantine there. But um, he loved Christy Moore. Uh, and in particular, over and over again, it's quite fitting that the, his favourite song was was Christy's um, Ordinary Man. Um, and for its air and its lyrics, I, I just thought it was very poignant myself to think that that was one of his favourites over there. But again, it was a nice little... Touch, shall we say, an Irish touch, shall we say, to a mission story. Yeah, very much so. And um, you returned home. Damien, this, of course, was last July. You returned home. Rami remained there. And you've been in touch with him a couple of times since. We have indeed. And and his family, they're, they're look, uh, you know, uh, everybody's entitled to their, what can you say? We're not there to fill in the gaps, but we were, you know, happy to 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 set the record straight for, for the family that met us. In the hotel, we obviously couldn't budge, but we met them at the perimeter of the hotel and um, just filled in a few gaps, just wanted to reiterate the fact that Rami was not a criminal and we were merely assisting and happened to be two police officers and that it was the LSL he trust um, got him home voluntarily. Um, they're exceptionally grateful and and most importantly, uh, our last conversation, um, there was just the soundings of a very happy household back home in Rami's kitchen with his parents and it. it you know, it it ended well. Um, he's very happy. He's very happy to be home with his family, and it's just very grateful for the trust for making it all happen. Really, Alice, you've been in the the Alice Lee Trust and originally trust as it was since I think about nineteen seventy five, and quite obviously, I geez, at the stage I say nearly thousands of people have been through your doors. People who unfortunately find themselves at that station in life, it must be heartwarming. Particularly, I'd imagine there's a lot of stories that end badly for at least to hear this one ending well. Well, I think this has been phenomenal, uh, Mick. And thank you for writing it up in the examiner because the number of people from all over, we've got uh, emails from America, uh, South America, uh, Nashville, uh, people from all over Ireland. But the most important one of all is how the people who knew Romy, who were homeless, reacted to it. Uh, one man who is in and out of homelessness, he gets a job, he gets accommodation, he loses it, he falls in love, he falls out of love. And he came in the other day in a bicycle. He was back sleeping out again. And he came in and he asked us, would we thank the two guards who helped Romy? And he said, well, I swing around by Pierce Street, but maybe they'll arrest me. 
But anyway, the following week, I was just standing outside in a little waiting room, as you know it. And there he was chatting with another man. And they were having this deep conversation about Romy. And the older man didn't know what he was talking about. And he explained to me, and he said, well, Romy, you know, was homeless. And I knew him here. And we all knew him. He, he was a bit odd at times, but he didn't frighten any of us. And isn't it great to think that he's back home with his family. Well, do you know, Mick, that that was as good as winning the lotto. You know, it's the effect his story has had on, but I think it's also no one agency can uh, deliver the goods, but was about the teamwork in all of this. Uh, and uh, the guard, the superiors, who allowed Damien and Alan, you know, to, to take their free time uh, to travel and their families. So it's been a, a good news story. I think it's probably the best news story we've ever had in my lifetime working with the agency. Well, that's a beautiful note on which to finish, Alice. And that's it for today, folks. Uh, a good news story at a time when I think it's fair to say such are at a premium. And look, it's also heartwarming to hear it at this time of year. I'd like to thank Alice Leahy and Damien McCarthy for relating that to us today. Thanks to our engineer, JJ Vernon, as always, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon. In the meantime, go easy, have a very happy Christmas, and a safe and sound new year to follow. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.